This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 130 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you with the generous support of Equestrian Collections. Hello, I'm Chris Stafford, welcoming you to another episode of the Dressage Radio Show, where this week we're going to touch on some very topical issues facing international dressage. And joining me to discuss those hot topics are Wayne Shannon and Catherine Haddad. But first of all, we have an announcement from Glenn here at the Horse Radio Network. Hi, Glenn. Well, hi, Chris. Thank you so much for allowing me to come on your show for a minute or two. Well, special permissions and all that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And you were the only host that gave me a rough time about it, too, I have you know. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I was coming on for a reason. I want One, I want to wish everybody a a happy Thanksgiving coming up here. May you enjoy your friends and family and and your horses and all all of your pets as well in the holidays coming up. So we hope you all have a safe and happy Thanksgiving holiday from from all of us here at the Horse Radio Network. And I also wanted to thank you and your listeners because I have a very special announcement of something that has not happened before here on the Horse Radio Network. For the first time in less than a year now, for the first time, we have gone over 1 million downloads with all of the shows. Um, it just happened a couple of days ago that we reached the million mark. We have never reached a million downloads in a year before, and now we've gone over that thanks to the growth of the shows. So thanks, Chris, to all of your efforts, too, in putting the shows out and doing such a good job and, and getting such terrific guests. Uh, I'm happy to make that announcement. That's a pretty big number. I'd say that's a milestone, and I think it's worth just spending a moment to explain on the growth of the Horse Radio Network that you started off with Helena B. with Stable Scoop, you know, just talking to each other in your kitchens kind of thing. And and from there After on... After three we, weeks, we had uh, 12 listeners. And then, of course, we just keep <laughs> kept adding shows, and now we have a total of eight shows on the network? Nine, I think. Nine, I beg your pardon. Yep. Now, with driving, of course, nine shows on the network. Well... Yeah, and you know, when you think about it, we have been doubling our audience every year. More than doubling the first year, obviously, because it was brand new. But uh, since then, we've been doubling our audience every year, which is an incredible number. So we just are so thankful that everybody is liking what we're doing. Uh, Please continue to tell all your friends about it. Post it on Facebook. Help us out as well. And, you know, if you have a company out there and you're looking to get the word out about your company, whether it's small or large, uh, one of the neat things about the Horse Radio Network is we are really an affordable, effective advertising source for many of the companies out there in the horse world. We thank all of our sponsors who have supported us up to this point. But So congratulations, Chris, and, and good job, and thanks to all the listeners. One million. I know. Well, we look forward to you coming back on the show when we have two million, Glenn. And also, you know what else is coming up? Every year we do a all-host episode that'll be put out at Christmas time all across all the shows where all the hosts get together and we just sit around and we pick on each other for an hour. 
And that's, that's that, coming that's up. That's the one that is totally uncensored, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's coming up. That'll be put out over Christmas and around the holidays there. So you can tune in for that one. But I'm looking forward to that. And, and it's going to be crowded this year. I counted there are seven hosts now for the different shows. Yes. Talk about growth. That's fantastic. And we all speak the same language. Some of us yes. with a different accent. But. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Wonderful, well, thank Glenn. you so much, Chris. We'll talk to you again soon you and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, Glenn. And don't forget to check out all the other shows here on the Horse Radio Network. There is something for everyone. And you can follow the links at the Horse Radio Network's main page. That is horseradionetwork.com. Well, we're going to hear from Wayne Shannon and Catherine Haddad in just a second. But before we do, I want to remind you all of our sponsors here on the Dressage Radio Show. And that is Equestrian Collections. Because riding in a cold climate can be tough if you're not wearing the right clothing. So this is where Equestrian Collections can help you with its extensive range of winter riding britches from well-known brands such as Kerritts, Romph, Tough Rider, Iridian, Ecos, Ovation and Ariat, to name just a few. There is something for all occasions and conditions to ensure you're protected against the elements. You can find out more about these popular britches and the full range of Equestrian Collections winter wear by following the link on our show notes or going directly to equestriancollections.com. And if you use coupon code HRN at the checkout, you'll get $10 off your next order of $100 or more. Equestrian Collections is a participating retailer of the Horse World Gives Back campaign. Well, joining me now to discuss some very hot topics that are facing the sport is Wayne Channon from the International Dressage Riders Club and a regular here on the show, Catherine Haddad in Germany. Welcome back to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, as I said, there's a lot of hot topics going on in the sport. Now, Wayne, uh, we've just come out of the Global Dressage Forum, which is a popular annual event in the Netherlands. A lot of topics discussed generally, but particularly you had your General Assembly there for the International Dressage Riders Club. So lots of topics came out of that. We're going into the uh, this week, of course, uh, is just finishing up this week, is the FEI's General Assembly in Rio. So... Let's know what, uh, on, what's on your mind. There's several things that of really pressing issues that you addressed, weren't there, Ch Chip Wayne? So uh, if you want to lead off yep. with, with those. Sure. The, 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 big two, the two big issues for us at our General Assembly really dominated the conversation and even overtook our view of our strategic plan. And the first was who will be the rider's representative on the dressage committee? And the second was the blood rule. Now, just to give a little bit of background to the dressage committee, this is the most important committee. It decides on everything that happens to dressage as a sport globally. It um, is a committee of six people. Four of them are nominated by national federations. They, are, they can be anybody. They're normally elected very sensibly as experts in, um, in dressage and certain aspects of dressage. One member will be a rider and represents the views of all riders. And the final member, the, the sixth member, is an organizer. And normally, historically, the rider and the organizer have always been nominated by their respective clubs. So the International Dressage Riders Club has nominated the dressage rider and the um, Association of International Dressage Event Organizers, or ADEO, has, has nominated the organizer. Now, this has gone, th this has always happened. 
Um, but this year we've had a change. Two national federations have decided that they would put forward nominees or candidates for that particular for the dressage riders position. Now, the two people they put forward <clears throat> are not really the issue. The issue is who should represent, who should be able to say who represents the riders. Now, the the the, the riders club um, has read the statutes, the FEI statutes. We've taken legal advice on the FEI statutes, and we've. Um, um, decided we decided last well, a few weeks ago to take the FEI to tribunal on this. The um, we lost the case with tribunal on a very technical point. Now, if you want, to, do you want some background to this so I can go into it? Or y yes, please do. I'm just we, your okay. connection is not very good right now, Wayne. We just uh, I don't know if you heard that, Catherine, but uh, I don't want to interrupt you. But certainly, yes, let's give us some background to where you are now. Okay. What happened was the, the FEI statutes ensure that there will be a rider representative on the dressage committee. The um, internal regulations of the FEI state that that member has to be a member of the International Dressage Riders Club. And this is the same for all um, disciplines, jumping, um, eventing, they're all the same. Now, the ITRC has content, contended that that gives the ITRC the exclusive right to nominate that rider. And the judge at the FEI tribunal said it was not clear what the intention was behind, even though the English is clear. And the reason they thought that was because the statutes were voted on by national federations and the vast majority of whom do not speak native English. Therefore, you had to look at what the meaning behind their English is, not what the English said. So we expected to lose that, and we did. But the point we made was that the um, that, that the language that the language should be clear that we do have the right to appoint our own member, and we don't have a, a big thing about who that person should be. We don't care whether it's one member of our board or a member of our extended team, the, the whole club. But we do want to be able to democratically elect one person. Now, this particular year, I was selected to be the the riders' representative, and the dressage committee decided not to support me as a, a member of the Dressage Committee, as the next member, because there is already a British member on the Dressage Committee. And they felt that having two Brits was uh, one too many. Now, we have contended that that is not the most important aspect of this. The most important aspect is that we have um, the right person doing the right role. And we are different. The Riders Club is different to a national federation. A national federation member sits on any committee and he represents whatever he feels like representing, but primarily his country. The Riders Club represents a worldwide organization of riders, and therefore we want to represent only riders, not a national view. And so we say, when you're looking at organizers, you're looking at riders, you can't use national federations as being the most important thing. It's not. And this is where we disagree with the FEI. Um, so now we have, um, uh, we took a, um, a very big decision at our General Assembly. We decided to exclude the two people who were standing against the IGRC candidate for the dressage committee on the basis that if they were elected, they would be representing first the National Federation and second 
their personal view of riders. And, you know, that's just not possible for an individual to say, I will represent all riders. You need to have an organization that has the ability to communicate with all riders, so giving information to all riders and receiving information from riders. And then you can take a sensible decision, which is what the ITRC board does, and then present that to the dressage committee. Unless you can speak as a voice of all riders, really on the committee you're the voice of just one person, whether you're a rider or not. And that is not what we should have representing the IDRC. Well, Catherine, I know you have strong views on this and you've been writing about it too. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, I have to agree with Wayne on, on most of what he said. I, this is a very powerful committee. It's the most, uh, the, the FEI dressage committee is the most powerful committee concerning dressage in the world. And of course, all national federations would take any chance that they could to get a representative from their country on this particular committee. Um, but the riders have to be represented, and the riders' seat is not about nationality. It's about representing and and projecting the voice of riders around the world. So unless we have the right individual in that seat, um, the riders have no chance to have a voice in the dressage committee. And quite frankly, I, I think it behooves all of us to remember that without riders, we don't have a sport. Wayne, how is that... Uh nomination selected from the IDRC? The, the IDRC board selects the candidate at once. We take a vote on, uh, we ask who would like to stand and then we take a vote on the candidates. And um, this is the way it's always been done. The, um, and it's not just a one person, I want to be it. It's who do we think can do the best job? And this is in our, the way we do this is uh, clearly documented in our statutes. And any rider who wants to stand is able to put their name forward. It's not just, do you want to be a board member? But at the end of the day, the board decides in lieu of the General Assembly. So how many candidates would you have had this year um, that have put themselves forward for nomination? Uh, we didn't have um, uh, a strong list of candidates. We had... Um, um, to be frank with you, before we even, uh, I didn't put my name forward. I was asked if I would do it. And the, um, I went, to, I, I agreed to do it because the club decided that it wanted me to do it. Um, the, um, anybody that was sent out by Kira to the other members saying the Kira is the president of the club Kira saying Kirkland, she yeah. is Kira Kirkland. Yeah. She is prepared to stand. Um, uh, but she, she would like me to do it. Uh, would the other board members agree? And the other board members all said, yes, we would. So the, uh, we didn't have a, a, cont a contest for the, uh, the position. So the General Assembly, of course, the FEI's General Assembly meeting this week in, in Rio, um, and they will have done their business by the time we go to air, of course. But what would be the next steps then, Wayne, for the IDRC if, uh, if, it, if you get to a stalemate situation? Um, well, what we have now is the FEI is in default. It's in default of its obligations. Under its internal regulations and its statutes, it had to appoint at the, at the General Assembly today a rider representative, and it didn't do so. That means uh, it stated that it was looking for uh, the legal position, and I believe that's because they think that the IDRC General Assembly may have acted illegally. That is absolutely not the case. We, we did this to the letter. 
we followed the legal advice we were given and we did it under um, the, the, the old statutes, which we've had for a long time, which we've had for many years, all the time since I've been a member. We took the decision to expel two members. That would leave one candidate, which the FBI really should have taken, and they didn't. They've said to us that they would like to discuss this when they return from Rio, and that is the first sign of any kind of acceptance that they would like a democratic solution to this, which we do. If, you know, if, if the FEI say we cannot have two members from the same national federation, we have other members. They, they've had many opportunities to make this clear to us. It came as really quite a surprise and only came out when we took the FEI to, to the tribunal that, in fact, this was their major issue. If they'd said this way back when nominations were required, then I wouldn't have even been prepared to accept the nomination. There are other members of the board and that we have in the organization that can do this. We don't agree that that is the most important thing. But if that to them is sine qua non, you must not be from this, a current member of the, a current member of, well, I can't say it. If, you're, if they already have a federation on the, on the dressage committee, then we have people which would, you know, who, I'm getting confused on this. <laughs> Is there a better way to say this? What, what, you can't what, both be from the same federation. Yeah. Two NFs can't be on the board. That's right. Not the same two feder- from two people yeah. from the same federation. Absolutely. Catherine, do you want to weigh in on this? Because the implications are far-reaching. The implications are very far-reaching, and I think uh, as members of the IDRC, we really need to keep in mind that what is most important for us is to have an acceptable person take that seat. We do not want to be represented by someone who has not been actively involved in the club and who is not used to um, assessing all of the information from the riders around the world and then presenting one singular voice and, and arguing our case on the committee. So I think that's the most important thing to keep in mind. And if it is true that the only objection that the FBI has to Wayne's nomination is that he comes from, from Great Britain and there's already a member on the, the committee from Great Britain, then we, we can reconsider perhaps and find someone else on our executive board to do the job. But it would have been nice to have this communicated well before. Yeah, exactly. And what we, what we don't accept and, and, and this is what we battled in the language of the FBI rules and statutes. We don't accept that national federations can just nominate anyone to the rider's position. As the, the International Riders Club believes that it needs to be represented by a rider who is active in the club, active in the sport, maybe not actively showing, but actively supporting the sport, analyzing the sport, and, and understands the needs of riders around the world. What I would assume, Wayne, that the per- one of the roles and purposes of the IDRC is for riders to have a collective voice. That's exactly. If, the, if eventually this comes down that we do not get a representative of riders on the board, uh, on, the, on the dressage committee, then really what is the point of having a riders club? We are an FEI associate member, but what does that really mean if you don't have the ability to nominate the person to represent riders? It's a, it would be pointless. The, uh, it would mean we would be a lobby group only. We would not have a voice, and that mm-hmm. is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Without a voice, you have no influence, of course, and we should remind everyone that the, the membership of the club now extends to some 640-plus members, doesn't it? So it's not a small representation yes. by any means. 
No, there's oh. only 500 competing Grand Prix riders and 2,500 registered FEI riders in dressage. So we do have a significant proportion of people who are with us. And we'd like to have more. Yeah, we need more. Especially from America, I might add. <laughs> well, there's a call for membership. Um, you, can, you can always always come on the Dressage Radio Show and do some lobbying. Yes, I'm going to have to do but that. You, we, we need um, not just international riders, but also national riders, owners, people who would like to have their voice heard inside the sport. We have two levels of membership. One is full member, which you do have to be an international rider. And the second is associate member, which is people who maybe a supporter or an owner or a national rider who aim to be an international rider, but who do want to have their voice heard. And this is the future of our sport. So we, 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 were, we are quite Catholic in our approach to membership. And we very much want, and you don't have to pay to become a member anymore. We are very happy to have people who don't pay as so long as they do contribute. Right. Well, your president, as you said, is Carrie Kirkland. You are the Secretary General. Who are your other board members, Wayne, so we get a sense of the countries that are represented? Uh, we have um, um, uh, Hayley Burris from Australia, Beatrice Farasalat from Spain, um, Natalie Zuzain Wittgenstein from Denmark, Imke Schellekens Bartels from the Netherlands, and Evie Strasser from Canada. And that means all of those countries now have been ruled out. Oh, no. All of those countries, some of those countries are available to go on the dressage committee, but not all of them. For instance, uh, Imke can't go on because the chairman is Dutch. Uh, Natalie could go on. Beatrice could go on. Haley could. Uh, Kira could. Uh, and Evie could. Yeah, but, for instance, if Catherine came on and said, I would like to go on the committee, she couldn't do it because she's American. Of course, and they have an American already. Right. Well... Do we know really where this is all coming from, Wayne, and why it's got to this crossroads for the organization and the standoff between you and the FEI? It, it, I have no idea. I cannot imagine why they would consider it to be acceptable to take a representative who is not, from, who is not nominated by the Riders Club. It is inconceivable, the logic that they must have been going through. Um, and then in Rotterdam, when uh, Kira had a, me a meeting with uh, the dressage director, Tron Dasmuir, and Frank Kemperman, the chairman of the dressage committee, for neither of them to say, in fact, for them to say it's confidential who they're recommending, for nobody to highlight that nationality was an issue, it is inconceivable lack of communication. And it, it, the sport, this is a professional sport with lots of money, people who are very ambitious, very competitive, it has to be treated professionally, and that is not the right way to do it. So, no, I do not know where it's coming from. You mentioned, Wayne, that the IDRC is an FEI associate member. What does that mean? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. The, it's, it, it means we are invited into the FEI family. We are invited to the General Assembly each year. We are asked as a stakeholder what our views are, um, but... It, it, it is not as close a relationship as we would like or you would expect. The, um, we would very much like it to be a partnership where we discuss things. And, okay, we may lose. You know, we, we don't mind losing issues. What we mind is being ignored on issues. And riders are the sport. Without us, there is no sport. 
But I, my suspicion is that riders in dressage particularly are very weak compared, for instance, with jumping. Jumping riders stick together. They know what's good for them, and they really know how to make their voice heard. Dressage riders are much more loners. We, we are not um, as well organized. And this is the first time that really dressage riders have got together and said, we want something, and you really have to give us it. This is important to us. It's democratic, it's fair, and it's right. And I think dressage riders should really think their sport, I think it comes from being a judgmental sport. Judges give us points, and therefore we have to respect the judges. Whereas, in fact, judging really is just a matter of evaluation. If you smile or you don't smile, it should make no difference. It does make no difference. What matters is that you execute the movement perfectly. And jumping, if you knock the pole down, you've knocked it down. Nobody goes running after you and puts it back up if they like you. And a lot of dressage riders think this is the case, so therefore they have to kowtow to superiority or to people in a position of power. And I think the psychology for dressage riders has to change. We have to say, look, we own this sport. We are the sport. Without us, you don't have a sport. Our views should be counted. But I, I will, I've always said this. I don't think lunatics should run the asylum. And I'm not saying we're lunatics, but we, we do have our own views, which are very personal, very subjective. And to be one vote on a panel of six is fine. If we were five out of six, that might be worrying. I'm, I'm not saying one is right, but two might be better. Is the IDRC represented at the FEI General Assembly in any person? No. No, we didn't go this year. I've been before, but I decided not to go this year because I was a subject of much political debate and felt it might be more sensible not to be um, um, in the middle of it. It might be better to let people discuss it out external, uh, without me being involved in it. But as we said, you know, the implications of this are far-reaching because it does undermine the IDRC's credibility and standing if you are yeah. to get your arms around riders and more of them around the world they would look to you for this kind of influence. So it, it is a crossroads, significant crossroads, isn't it? Yes, it is. If, if I hadn't been the subject of the debate, I would have been there. Right. And we, took it, we, we debated it a long time, and we decided that really to go and fight your own fight is, you know, on a personal basis is difficult. I will argue till the cows come home the rights of riders and the rights of the, the club. But that is not who, but how that person should be elected. And we have a lot of people voting for us and supporting us at national federation level. Um, but I think this time it was probably the right decision not to go to the General Assembly. So moving on then from this, uh, there is the possibility that it, that is an option there, that they will come back to Europe and they will sit down and talk to you and discuss a way forward. Mm. That, that nothing is at this point cast in stone? No. no I, well, I, I very much believe they will. Ingmar de Vos, the Secretary General, has spoken to Kira and said they would like to have a meeting. Right. And that is the first time that we have heard that they are open to a sensible discussion about how the problem is solved. And if they, really, if they say the problem is you can only have one national federation, one member from one national federation on the dressage committee, then that's what we will do. We have no problem with that. Yes, we, we can easily elect another another member from the executive board yeah. that would fulfill the requirement of being from a different nation of the other five people. 
Yeah. What we don't what we don't want is that uh, a national federation completely independent of our club electing our rider representative. We need someone yep. from within the club who is, I hope, on the executive board and who is active within the club and hasn't just joined it in order to support their nomination. Uh, we need one of those people to be on the committee for us. Well, this is something we will follow with interest here and you know, invite you back to come on the show and, uh, and bring us an update in a, in a couple of weeks' time, perhaps. But um, it, there are other topics of interest, of course, that are catching your attention right now that you were discussed at the Global Dressage Forum, and not least of all, the infamous blood rule. Uh, Wayne, do you want to bring us up to date with uh, where you stand on this as an organization? Yeah, the, the blood rule we, we felt was drafted too broadly. And, and the, the biggest thing we were worried about is if somebody came back into the arena, if the, let's say the horse had been disqualified or the bell had been sounded because the horse had blood in its mouth or it was seen, the horse went out of the arena, it stopped bleeding, but momentarily it was brought back in and started to bleed again. The image of the sport could be tarnished. Um, also, we have doubts as to whether it is a, a welfare issue. If it is a welfare issue then it shouldn't be going back in in the first place. And can a vet really say within seconds that this is not a welfare issue? There's only a certain amount of um, investigation you can do. And finally, can you make this a level playing field for everyone? If it is, you know, if you're the last person to go and you go out and the, the, um, the vet happens to be sitting waiting for you and they say, it's fine, you can go back in, so be it. If the vet is 10 minutes away, how long do you wait before the end of the competition? If you're, you, know, you could be a rider who goes out when the vet is waiting and it's still bleeding, or you go out and it's, the vet is not waiting 10 minutes later, the horse has stopped, and you're allowed to go back in. It has to be level playing field for everyone. So we have, we have doubts about the practicality of the solution. And what we really wanted was a much more considered approach to this, and um, we're delighted that the FBI has taken the decision to um, delay the or and, and possibly change the drafting of Rule 437.6, so that um, the I know they're going to it's the, the FBI Veterinary Committee is going to take a view of this whether it is a welfare issue and have one rule for all sports or all horse sports. This is good. We will then debate this properly. We'll have a properly drafted rule and one that we can all get behind and say, yes, we're happy with this. I mean, you know, as a, as a rider, we would, like, we would love the idea. In fact, Catherine brought this up at our General Assembly. The, we would love the idea of having um, somebody externally, the judge at sea, verify that the horse was bleeding. If it's bleeding, there's no way you're going back into the arena. And if, but if, if the judge at sea made a mistake, fine, you have an appeal. You, you've checked this out. There's nothing wrong with this. Uh, in fact, I... I supported that originally, um, but as I was pointed out, somebody pointed this out to me that we've never seen a judge make a mistake. They've never you know, rung out a horse saying there was blood when there wasn't. And if that's the case, then why do we need a rule for that? But the point is, if people feel strongly about that, this is right. We should have that appeal. Now, the question on whether it's a welfare issue, that's the big one, and we have to debate that. Well, Catherine, I know the vet is always going to be waiting outside for you because you're married to one. So, 
what is your perspective on on this as a as a rider um, in, in in irrespective of the IDRC standpoint? Yeah, as, as a rider, it's very important for me to preserve the image of the sport. And a bleeding horse in the arena is just, especially, particularly for dressage, is where where we want to emphasize lightness and harmony uh, in riding. Um, blood is disturbing, and I don't think it's it's an image that we want photographed. I don't think it's an image we want presented. I don't think we want it uh, in in the show ring. And it's always been an accepted practice that if a horse bleeds in the arena, the horse and rider are eliminated. Um, this really only came into question last summer at the WEG in Kentucky when Adelinda's horse was, Adelinda Cornelison's horse was, um, was eliminated due to blood in his mouth. And, and part of the problem, and I think it, it behooves us to say this at this time, is that for the Olympic Games in London, we are down to three riders per team and every score counts. So some of the trainers uh, in the trainers club, because I'm in the trainers club as well, and as a trainer who is putting riders forward toward the Olympic teams, uh, the top trainers in the world are very concerned that one of their scores will be eliminated and their whole team will then be eliminated from the team competition, which is a valid concern. And that's why originally there came with this idea to have some kind of appeal um, as a rider, personally, I don't want to see it. As a trainer, I can understand that when you are responsible for your entire country's medal uh, attempt, that it's pretty tough to have a horse eliminated if he's only just bit the tip of his tongue. But I don't know how anyone can quickly determine that that's exactly what's happened. And unless we completely rewrite the rules and set up some kind of inspection box that is always present at every horse show... Um, so that a horse can be immediately inspected if blood is sighted. I don't know how you would manage to work with something like this. And, um, you know, it's, it's the rule, the assumed rule has always been that if the horse bled in the arena, he was eliminated. And that has thus far worked for us. So it seems like it would be a simple solution to put that in writing and if people are worried about a horse getting eliminate, eliminated wrongly, then all you have to do is add to the rule. You, you say if the judge at sea sees the appearance of blood on the horse anywhere, he can ring the bell and eliminate the horse, and the appearance of blood must be confirmed by the steward after the horse, or the, the technical delegate after the horse exits the arena. So you have a backup for the judge at sea. In other words, if your mom was dumb enough to give your horse a piece of carrot before he went in the arena and he chewed that up and he had this little pink foam on the edge of his lip and the judge thought it was blood but you come out and the steward says no it's carrot you can go back in but that's probably not going to happen because well my mom isn't going to be anywhere near my horse before I go in (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well of course there's also a question of timing too if this rule did to play were to play out you know, you've got scheduling, you've got TV maybe at the bigger competitions, and I know there was some difference between the rules that were applied at FEI upper levels and the lower levels too as to the number of officials that would be in attendance to implement these rules. Mm. Wayne, am am I correct in thinking that? Yeah, that's right. They they want this only for major championships, Olympics, World Equestrian Games, Continental Championships. The, um, also, uh, also you, not right. That was another thing that we objected yeah. to in, in the Riders Club. We feel that if a rule is made about blood, it should apply to all horse shows around the world, if possible, and definitely to all FEI level competitions. That's we can't have right. our 
our pony riders and our junior young riders uh, getting eliminated for the appearance of blood when it doesn't happen to an Olympian. Yeah. So we really feel that all the horse shows should operate under the same rules. And therefore, you know, if, you, if it takes six extra officials to enforce some kind of appeal rule, you can't have that at every pony show. So we, we feel that the rules should be enforceable by the minimal number of people or minimum number of people. Yeah, that's, it's got to be right. I mean, we don't, you know, when you think about this, in all the years I can remember, there's been one elimination at a major championship. There's only been a few, I can probably count them on the fingers of one hand, at CDIs in the last five years. This is not a major issue for dressage. And dressage is, the, I, I see the problem is that when they look at this, they're going to come out, as they said in, the F, in Rio today, they said that it's going to be one rule for all horse disciplines. Well, that's not quite right, because when you're doing that fa- fast burst of speed, like racing, for instance, even though I know racing is not an FEI sport. But eventing. But eventing, for instance, yeah, you'll get a small nosebleed. It's nothing. And you get those small bur- vessels bursting. It doesn't affect the horse. It doesn't affect anything. Dressage, of course, is not like that. The, um, we, we are supposed to be the, the, the epitome, the peak of lightness and grace and elegance. And um, you don't normally get things bleeding. It's normally something's gone wrong. And if you're so unlucky to be the one rider that gets that, well, so be it. I'm sorry. If it were, if it were me, I would think, okay, the sport is more important than my personal success. But I know it's, um, it's hard to say that if you're the one person who gets eliminated. But it'll probably never happen again to Adelinda. So the, um, it's, it's, it's worth remembering this is not a big problem. Well, and we do hope in, this, in the future that we can reinstate four riders on a team with a drop score because yes. that takes the pressure off of everybody. Yes, for sure. That would be the solution that would work for everyone. Right. right. That, it, it would, yeah. We would not be discussing this if in London we had four-man teams and a drop score. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Is, the, is that likely to be renegotiated? Do either of you know? If we have I, the right representation in the dressage committee, yes. Yes, ah, exactly. So we've come full circle on that. Well, good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll follow that with interest too because, as you say, that is critical, having a drop score, as they do in the other disciplines, having exactly. a, a drop score. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't you just come back to the Global Dressage Forum, Wayne, because whilst you were there with, at your General Assembly, you di- did discuss other things. Um, I think there was a, a think tank that you had mentioned when you were on the show before. Mm. The dressage think tank. That, that's really the other, all, all the clubs coming together, the riders club, the trainers club, the, and the judges club. And we discuss the big issues, that, the technical issues that we see in the sport. And that's very important. We have a dressage judge general now, that's Guilain Farage, the Dutch um, five-star judge, the Olympic judge. He is the one who is given the, the duty of deciding when there is any kind of uh, interpretation required when a standard has to be set he is the one who's given the final decision and he was there we have members of the uh, international dressage organizers club and the trainers club and the riders club and we looked at the big issues that we see it and we took several important decisions for us they're only recommendations for the fei but they were decisions that we can all get behind and we're recommending those to the fei and we very much hope they will take it and this is all part of your strategic plan. Um, when yeah. you, this strategic plan, it, how, what sort of term is that, Wayne? Is it a year, two years, three years? Or is it we, the Olympic it's, cycle? 
No, it's, 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 it's a, we have a long-term plan and an immediate plan. Long-term is we would like to see this in years to come. I'll give you some and immediate things would be, immediate things are we would like some tactical things sorted, like judges should not be able to see the scores that the other judges are giving or the running, or the running total. When, you, when judges see a running total, they all tend to be very similar in their scoring. When they don't see a running total, they tend to give what they think, and it's often widely different to the other judges. Um, another example is anonymous judging. The, um, we, I don't know if you've ever interviewed uh, Inga Wolfram on your show. She's a sports psychologist, and she's given several presentations on the, um, the way judges have to conform to certain, um, I guess, mental... Um, What's the word? Um, biases. They, um, they, these are not biases that they put upon themselves, but they're put just by virtue of being a judge. For instance, conformity. They have to conform to certain expected standards. So a judge might look at a movement and think, well, I'd rather give that an eight. But he's always given it a six, and all judges always give it a six. And does he dare be the, one, the first one to give it to an eight? And I call this the super tanker effect. You know, when you start to turn the wheel five miles later, the tanker turns. Mm-hmm. The uh, judges are very much like this. They look at Catherine do a wonderful pirouette for a nine, but they've always given her a seven. And they say, I, 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 I can't go to the nine. I might give us now a seven and a half. And then they'll discuss it. And then the next day they say, yes, I was thinking about an eight, actually. And then she'll get an eight or an eight and a half. And then in weeks to come, she'll get a nine. And that's not right. They have to be able to give the number. But it's not because they don't want to or they think logically about this. It's just the conformity bias. They have to fit in. Otherwise, they can't succeed. And we'd like to see anonymous judging. And this is a tactical thing so that the pressure is off them. And then, the, the, of course, it won't be completely anonymous. The FEI will see the marks and they're able to analyze the t- statistics and see which ones are fitting, which ones are giving accurate scores, which ones are not but it might remove a problem. And this is worth trying. And then we have strategic things like looking at the judging system, how we would like to see the system developed so that we can take away those aspects which are basically counting. Do you do 15 one tempies on the diagonal when you're supposed to do 15? Or did you do 14? The simple things. And then the quality things that only a human being can do. So we'd say quantitative things, we'll get somebody to do the quantitative analysis quality things that are interpretive or artistic, then we need judges. And therefore, I, you know, you can split the tasks so you can become much more accurate, much more consistent without having to ask the individual to do more or think differently. And it's respecting the fact individuals are individuals, but that they have to be aided by the support systems to get the right mark. You know, this is a very big topic right there, Wayne, that we could spend a lot of time on. And, you know, the interesting thing about the, the you know, the, the, the judge's bias and that conformity with the, mm. the accepted standards and, you know, dare they go a little bit higher. Uh, we heard at the Pan American Games how the, the result, the, the final confirmed results were quite delayed from the provisional. And there were changes. And we heard this too at Gladstone at the U.S. selection trials here a couple of months ago. And and I I believe you were there, Catherine. Yes, I was. Where scores were later adjusted. How can that be that they are adjusted to that extent? Uh, Help us understand that. 
Are you asking Catherine? I hope Catherine. so, because I have no idea. <laughs> Catherine. Well, they, they can be adjusted in that, uh, you know, there's always a manual score that's written, and sometimes the scores are then typed into the com- to a computer, which is sent to a computer central. And sometimes if a score doesn't make sense, it's compared to the written, and then it might be changed. Um, other times, it depends on what horse show you're at, they might be going only from the written scores. They might not be, be sent by computer to a central. They might be taking the written scores in and actually adding them up still, uh, and then, then they have to be double-checked. Um, there's lots of reasons why a score can be changed after the fact. Uh, it happened at World, the World Cup final in Leipzig as well. Um, we had a, an American writer whose score was changed at the end of the competition twice. So um, it all depends on whether it's computerized and there's a glitch in the computer. There was a glitch in the computer system at World Cup because they weren't used to using seven judges. It was a computer system made for five judges, and they had to, they had to calculate seven scores. So there's lots of reasons why scores can be adjusted after they come in. But are we talking about, you know, one or two points? I think that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. Well, it is here or there, for some, obviously, with placings. But... One or two marks is like, okay, there can be, you know, the discrepancy between the manual and the computerized marks. But when it's a few marks different, you know, I have to wonder what, you know, why there is that discrepancy and why it's so delayed in the confirming. And this happened at the Pan Ams, you know, an extended delay in confirming from the provisional to the confirmed score. I have no idea. I mean, you you get human errors, but... The, um, can that be the, the story? I, I think you have to know what was going on. I mean, what Catherine is saying is right. You often get human error or you get operators who don't know how to use it properly. Then you have to correct manually. That takes for ages. Yes. But at, at top competitions, you shouldn't really have that much of a delay. Not normally. Right. You think with the computer era that we're in, it would be immediate as it is, say, in figure skating. Mm. You know, they, they flick the score and that's it. Uh, yeah, for sure. You see them all immediately on your TV screen and nothing changes. Well, interesting uh, topics, obviously. Um, big plans for the IDRC moving forward, Wayne, and trying to embrace more riders around the world. Catherine, your thoughts on how you get more American riders joining the IDRC? Well, I, we actually made a suggestion or we talked about it um, during the last General Assembly that at every FBI competition around the world, at every CDI we would like there to be a membership form for the IDRC, in not only in the program, but also handed back with the passports when you receive your passports after the horse show. Uh, and I just think our, our riders in America need to become more aware that they have the opportunity to be in this club. And I think it's very, very important to get more American riders involved. We're, we're quite, after spending three months at home this summer, I can tell you, there's quite a feeling, was quite a feeling of isolation for me because I wasn't at the European shows for three months and there wasn't a lot of information getting to me. I wasn't, it was my fault. I wasn't really looking at my emails that closely. I was distracted. Um, so, you know, I, I think that we, we are separated by an ocean and a continent, but it's very, very important because we do have a really top level team and a, a top level of dressage in our country. It's really important that our riders get involved and stay involved. And unfortunately, I did have a little bit of an impression when I was home this summer that um, there's still this old feeling. I call it an old feeling because it's really changing in Europe that um, you have to not rock the boat, not speak up when something is wrong. And you have to just just toe the line and uh, 
agree with everybody in order to get to the top of dressage because we are subjectively judged. And everybody's worried that if they express an opinion, um, that that will show up in their scores. And I, I do not believe that's true anymore, at least on the European side of the ocean. I think that there are a lot of riders standing up and taking a stand for the sport and for what we want, for what we want to see changed in the rules, in the judging, in the strategy of the sport, in the future of the sport. And I think um, if you really care about this sport, you need to participate. Yeah. Just to remind you, Catherine, you committed to writing a letter that we could send out to all national federations to send to their international riders to join. Yes, sir. I'm on it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there we are. We must leave it for this week. A very, very interesting topics. And uh, I hope you'll come back, Wayne, and bring us up to date. Sure. In in the future, because things are, of of course, uh, moving constantly. And uh, we would obviously be interested in hearing what the outcome is of your representation on the FEI's Dressage Committee. Catherine, you are making your way back to the States permanently, aren't you, next year? That is the that is the current plan. Yes, that that is plan A. Well, no doubt you will add your influence when you get here, and, um, because uh, you, either with the pen or with the voice, and we we'll have you back on the show any time to bring us up to date. Thank you for that, Chris. Well, also before we go, uh, obviously condolences to you at the loss of Cadillac this past week. Um, very very hard to lose a horse when he becomes your best friend. So uh, uh, all of us here at the Dressage Radio Show, and I'm sure my listeners around the world. We'll send their heartfelt condolences to you, Catherine. A very tough loss. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. Well, that wraps it up for us uh, this week. I want to thank uh, Wayne and Catherine very much for their input. It's always uh, intellectually stimulating to have them on and talk about these topical issues that are happening in the sport. Thank you very much indeed, both of you. Pleasure. Thank you. And that is our show for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget you can check out all our show notes at dressageradio.com. You can let me know if you have any favorites out there that you would like to feature on the Great Partnership series. And also always wanting to hear from you if you're a young reporter anywhere in the world and want to come on the show and tell us about your show in your backyard. Thanks again to my guests this week, Wayne Shannon and Catherine Haddad, and to our sponsors here, Equestrian Collections. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. As always, leave your comments, questions, and suggestions on our fan page or shoot me an email to chris at horseradionetwork.com. I will be back, of course, at the same time, same place next week. So until then, thank you all for listening. 